in this episode we'll talk about sufficient clinical data. If you want to learn more, don't hesitate to register to the webinar prepared by CUNIC Group. So go to cunicgroup.com. There is two sessions, one in June 8th for the European time, one in June 11th for the US time. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Alazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today I have a special guest and it's the same guest as last uh, episode, uh, but he has changed a lot of things in the meantime. So it's Basil Accra uh, and it's Basil Accra from CUNIC, not from QSUD anymore. So Basil, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Thank you, Monir, and I'm happy to be here and now with my new role to support also answering some of the questions related to the regulation. Exactly. So uh, before you were a notified body, so you couldn't give a lot of uh, advice or a lot of consulting. Now you are tunic, so you can help uh, the manufacturers. And today I wanted uh, you to help the manufacturers related specifically to the sufficient clinical data, uh, because it's the, if I can say this raises a lot of questions. What is what means sufficient? Um, what people can justify uh, as a data, etc., etc. So. Um, I wanted to go through that and uh, to mention specifically also the differences with the MDD and MDR. So um, my first question to you is mainly, uh, what are the new requirements related to, um, to the MDR uh, for clinical data? Because this was already existing. We needed clinical data with MDD, but with MDR, everybody's now speaking a lot of clinical data. Is there any change for, for the products? Yeah, so in general, uh, thank you for this question. And it's true, first of all, uh, the wording sufficient clinical data created a lot of troubles with the medical device regulation because people were totally confused. Uh, now we have a lot of guidance which are explaining how to deal with this requirement. But in general, what the MDR uh, uh, introduced is a higher expectation on the clinical data requirement for the various device categories um, and especially the equivalence route which was possible in the past under the directives is now just limitedly possible we can talk about this later but uh, this is what what led to a lot of discussion at the european level because manufacturers started relooking on the amount of evidence they have to see if this would be sufficient to enable them moving from the MDD to the MDR or from the Active Implantable Medical Device Directive to the MDR. So we have higher requirement on uh, the amount of data needed uh, and limitation related to the usage of data which are coming from another manufacturers. So especially uh, related to class three and implantable medical device manufacturer, those manufacturers are now really uh, um, just under specific conditions allowed uh, to do equivalency and they are required to do more clinical data collection under the study design. So just for that, so on the specific requirement for those manufacturers, uh, one of the requirements is that they have to sign an agreement with those companies to use their data. Do you, I mean, do you think the one that really created this rule thought that companies will do that? 
It's, it's, I, I kept saying this in the past, and a lot of people were smiling when I was presenting on this. I kept saying it's just like uh, for Christmas time, perhaps someone will sign a contract. Well, typically, nobody will open you a full access to the technical documentation uh, and ask you, please copy my device. And then I share with you my data and I help you get to the market. Uh, the intention here is uh, from a legal perspective, not to close it totally. They, they just wanted to say, if you find someone who is willing to do that uh, and you have a contractual agreement, then it is fine, go ahead. Uh, so they didn't want to say, we don't allow it totally. We allow you under conditions, but we know that those conditions cannot be fulfilled. Okay. Uh, so this is what they said. But uh, what, what is still a possibility is... is if you have a device and you are improving your device that you go back to your own data, mm -hmm. uh, then it's allowed to, to do a kind of equivalency uh, for such device classes. Yeah, it works really well when you, you have your own device already CE marked and then you can yeah. use the data for that. So it's really uh, great. Mm -hmm. But um, now you are, we have, I mean, we have products that are already on the market. Mm -hmm. So they are under MDD or AIMDD. So now we will switch to MDR. There is, as you've said, higher expectation, higher um, clinical data uh, level required. So how this transition from MDD to MDR should be done within the, those manufacturers? Should by date of application or by expiration of their certificate have already a CR or a data available for their products? Or they sh I mean, is, do they have a bigger transition period or they should wait for a cycle of the SCR to be updated? I mean, is there a rule for that? Yeah. So uh, the, the clear rule is uh, a manufacturer who is currently acting under the directive, he has to fulfill the directive requirement. He's not required to fulfill the medical device regulation requirement. Uh, but sure, they should be doing gap analysis and looking on the gaps that they have towards the MDR and start closing the gap. So, I mean, it is already too late to start now, but it should be, uh, if you didn't start already, go ahead and start because now you need to close the gap because uh, if your certificate is still valid, you can still act under the old legislation and follow these rules. But as soon as you wanna apply for the medical device regulation, you need to have a clinical evaluation report which is totally in compliance with the MDR to be able to apply for an MDR and get certified or get self-declared under the medical device regulation. So very clear answer, do not mix up regulation. So um, uh, the directive has to follow the directive. The regulation certificate has to follow regulation requirements. So um, in terms of, uh, of the CR, so clinical evaluation report, we were uh, used to uh, go through this guidance, the MedDev uh, 2.7-1-1 slash uh, mm -hmm. Rev4, which is specifically to help you to build your clinical evaluation report. Now with the MDR, there is more requirements that are listed inside. And now we have also the publication of this MDCG guidance 2020-6. Uh, so um, are we, is, first, is the MDCG superseding the MedDev? Is the MDR superseding the MedDev? Is the MedDev still valid? Can we have a better yes. understanding of that? Yeah, so let, let me explain first of all the legal requirement in Europe. The first thing is a requirement comes from the regulation. Guidance documents are uh, just helpful uh, document uh, which are allowing you and guiding you towards uh, uh, the fulfillment of the requirement. So 
the highest level of expectation comes always from the legislation, not from the guidance document. So if there is any uh, differentiation between guidance and regulation, always the regulation will be uh, the one which is applicable. Everything else is invalid if the regulation is uh, just by guidance uh, written in the wrong way. So uh, the regulation has the main power uh, to implement rules in Europe, and the guidance are just instrument to help you on that direction. If we look to the MEDEF and we look to MDCG guidance document, uh, when we talk about MDR uh, framework, the MDCG guidance are referring to the MDR. Now, in the MDCG guidance, which were published recently, there is a reference to some MEDEF. Why? Because the MEDEF 2.7.1 revision 4, which you mentioned, is a guidance which includes two parts, the general clinical evaluation requirement and the specific requirement related to the MDD. And when I talk about general requirements, this means how you do a clinical evaluation. This kind of requirement is, is still the same under the regulation. The main changes are related to when are you allowed to do equivalency, when is a, a, a clinical study needed, uh, and so on. Those are the requirements which are changing. And this is where you have to follow the regulation. But in the MDCG, you have specific part of the MEDAF which is still applicable. So if you, you were using the MEDEF, you did a part of your preparation already to the MDR as well, but then you need to look to the gap and you check uh, how you can adopt all the requirements to ensure that you are MDR compliant. So um, as we said, uh, legislation is first. Uh, we have the MEDEF or MDCG uh, guidance. There are guidances. If I don't want to use them, if I want to build my CDR, mm -hmm. But at the end, it's really following the regulation, but I don't do kind of an appraisal or I don't know all the requirements that are mentioned on the MedDev. So am I still compliant or? So let's, this is a good, very good question and a very good point because compliance, you have to show to the regulation and not to the guidance. What happens typically by manufacturer, they give a citation to a guidance to be applicable. Exactly. As soon as you give a citation, you make out of the guidance a requirement. Uh, um, which require then that you have to fulfill what is written in that guidance. Uh, if you don't give a citation, you need to prepare a clinical evaluation report, which is fulfilling the best practice methodology. Now, the MEDEF and the MDCGs are reflecting the best practice. We don't have any other document telling you how to do it in a better way. So uh, uh, the best case is uh, if you want to avoid um, uh, getting questions uh, related to your compliance to a guidance, uh, don't cite the guidance, but follow the guidance. Okay. Because at the end, what happens is that uh, if you have a legal uh, uh, issue and you go in front of the court uh, and you will be asked what has been prepared and what have you done, they're going to look on best practice. They will look on regulation, but they're going to look on best practice. And if you follow best practice methodology, uh, nobody's going to question that. But if you don't follow them, uh, you will have bad time justifying against the court why uh, your methodology was actually acceptable and you, you did something in a good way. And this is not easy unless you follow that document, even if you didn't cite them, but you follow them and you can show that you have done what they are explaining to you to do. No, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great answer because, um, I mean, I, I have some experience with some clients that have received a major non-conformity related to their clinical evaluation report. And one of the things is that you are not following the MedDev because they mentioned the MedDev. But if they didn't mention that, maybe they would have maybe come some kind of, uh, of chance, if I can say, to, uh, to, to, uh, to pass without, without specifically that. Um, in terms of sufficient clinical data, um, 
we said that, yeah, we need sufficient clinical data. Um, is there a difference with MDD before we didn't need sufficient clinical data or there is a major change here? <laughs> Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny. I mean, I, I personally don't like these kind of words because what is sufficient, uh, what is not sufficient, who's going to decide how much data is enough? Uh, I mean, here, here the notified body is re has really the power to say, yes, it's sufficient or not, because I can be a manufacturer, I know really well my products, I provide you as much information as I have, but notified body at the end can, can still say, no, it's not sufficient. Because when you read the MDCG guidance, it says it should be um, scientifically sound, it should be uh, evident, it should be weighted, uh, qualitative, quantitative, but it means nothing. There is nothing clearly saying here is the bar to say sufficient. So how can we help those manufacturers to, to define what means sufficient or that, yes, we raise the bar to be sufficient enough? Yeah, so uh, let's uh, uh, under the directives, uh, the requirement regarding the amount of data needed uh, didn't really change towards the MDR. Now, the word sufficient was introduced, um, and this uh, led to this big discussion because by the end, if you look from a scientific point of view, what could be sufficient is, um, is sufficient to answer a question. So an amount of data and quality of data, which is answering a, a scientific question, will be sufficient to you. But like you're saying, we are human being and what is sufficient for you is not sufficient for me and vice versa. And this is why we need the clarity on that. And I think uh, the European Commission and also the working group to which I belonged in the past because I was representing notified bodies in that working group, we tried together at that time to make with this MDCG guidance document a differentiation between legacy devices, so devices which were certified under the MDD and IMDD, and the new devices and uh, created this table to help uh, people understand how much data would be enough between the legacy devices and completely new devices entering to the market. And I think this is a point where uh, you need to understand why these kind of guidance were created and what is behind the story. So uh, the problem is what I recognize for a lot of people who are not involved in the preparation and creation of such documents, they are reading something which was created by somebody else. They don't know the discussion behind it, the stories, why we did it in that way, what we meant with it. And uh, this is why it's very important that you speak to the expert to understand actually what led to such a decision and how can I get my device uh, again under the medical device regulation certified? How can I deliver the amount of data needed for an efficient certification under the medical device regulation? So um, it's it's it's... It's helpful, if I can say, but it's also um, something that a lot of manufacturers will, will judge differently because yes. they were able maybe to sell their products for 20 years. They have maybe enough data to show that they are okay. But as we are going to the MDR, the notified bodies will have maybe a, a bigger scrutiny on their products and maybe we'll find other issues and then raise the problem, okay, maybe my certificate is in danger because um, I have maybe those issues that notified body raised because now is really looking more deeply on my clinical data. So is it a scenario that will more and more happen here? I think it, it will happen. But uh, uh, the first thing what I always advise now, I can say advise. Uh, <laughs> uh, in the past, I was not able to use such a word. Uh, manufacturer to do is uh, that they, they, first of all, try to uh, understand how their device is achieving their int its intended purpose. Because a lot of people 
try to justify an amount of data for a device without knowing how the device is functioning. Try to understand your device. Try to understand what kind of claims you want to have for the device. You don't need to keep all the claims. You need to ensure what is actually the need. And based on that, if you do this job first, then you have to look on the data that you have and look on, uh, is it an implantable device? Is it a device falling into class three? Is it fulfilling the definition of well-established technology? Is it a legacy device? And then you can see out of this guidance document, you're going to have an, a possibility to justify a different level of clinical data and evidence uh, to support its certification under the regulation. It's uh, not an easy task if you are not an expert. So you need to, uh, to involve competent people in this field to ensure that your uh, device at the end has a chance to go through MDR certification. Okay, no, I think it's, uh, it's clear now. Um, one question that I receive uh, also is about uh, the essential requirements. So uh, with the MDD, we have essential requirements. With MDR or uh, IVDR, we have general safety and performance requirements, which is equivalent, if I can say, but there are mm -hmm. some changes. Um, when you read the MedDev for clinical data, it says you have to follow year one, so essential requirements one, essential requirements three, essential requirements uh, six, for example. Um, but when you go to the NDCG guidance, it says for GSPR, you should select the ones that are really applicable or the ones that are really helping you for proving safety and, comp and performance of your, of your device. So there is no more guidance. So what, what, what do you suggest to people to say, here is the GSPR that they have to follow um, to, uh, to um, have a good justification for the clinical data? So uh, when we talk about a uh, very, very good point, actually, because uh, people are sometimes confused by such a general wording. Uh, when we look to the legislation, which is the new medical device regulation, uh, we need to, to look on it in a different ways on the NDD. The NDD was uh, very focused on medical devices. If we look to the regulation, it is also enabling a new device category to fall under this regulation, which are devices without medical purpose. Annex 16. Yeah. Annex 16, yeah. yeah. So uh, like colored contact lenses just for Halloween parties, those are yeah. medical devices based on the regulation now. And uh, uh, when, when we drafted this uh, MDCG document, we, we considered actually uh, the potential of having such a device or such a device. A medical device as per the pass, per definition, or a medical device without medical purpose. So for uh, uh, the different device categories, you may have different kinds of general safety and performance requirement applicable. So the general safety and performance requirement one and eight is always applicable for, for when you are talking about benefit-risk profile. But uh, the nine, for example, is not applicable for all devices, is applicable for devices without medical purpose. And this is where manufacturers uh, need to, first of all, what I said before, understand how is my device achieving its intended purpose, understand also what kind of design and characteristic has this device to identify which GSPR is relevant when justifying benefit risk profile of the device when used as intended. No, I think it's, it's, it's clear. So, um, so I hope this will be helping a lot for, for the people that are uh, creating now the CR for their products because um, there were a lot of confusion about that. So thank you for, thank you for this one. Um, mm -hmm. My next question is more about product equivalence. Um, you said that earlier it existed already with the MDD, um, with the MedDev also. So what did change now? What is, the, what, is the, what is the restriction that you mentioned that there is now on the product equivalence? Can I still use another product 
when I'm not required, if I can say, to sign an agreement with the manufacturer. So can I still use another product and use the clinical data of this product? Or what, what are the rules now, if there is new rules? I like, I like your point because you said, uh, can I use another product and use the clinical data of the other product? Yeah. The problem that was under the directive that some manufacturers were comparing their device to another device and the other device doesn't even have a clinical data just because another device is on the market. And this led actually to the update with the MEDAF to say, if you are doing equivalency, keep in mind the mentality of equivalency is you do equivalency uh, since you identify a device to which you could demonstrate equivalency from a technical, biological, and clinical point of view. And then you can identify the clinical data from that device that you can transfer to your device. So when you do equivalency, you assume that your device is going to be the same safety level and performance level when you get on the market, and you confirm this through PMCF activity. Um, not all manufacturers did it in that way. So what led to the fact that the MEDAF was updated to clarify the expectation at that time. Now, with the new medical device regulations, there is on-top requirement, like we mentioned. For class 3 and implantable, they say you have to do a clinical investigation, uh, and you just have some specific possibilities to get equivalency. We talked about contract. We talked about previous device to which I'm comparing myself. But for 2A to be not implantable, you are still allowed to do equivalency. And you can even compare your device to a device which is not certified in Europe. Uh, but key is that you have clinical data, and the clinical data are relevant for the European population. And this is where, where people do not understand how to do it. And this is where uh, I think some guidance, uh, uh, additional to the guidance document, are needed because the guidance are not always answering the question. They are written in a, a legal, political way, and which leads that people are totally confused. So uh, this is why education and training and uh, preparation on guidance is important to ensure that people understand how to apply them correctly. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm working myself on some clinical evaluation reports. I'm reviewing them and I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. And I see some of the clinical evaluation reports where they are making a comparison to a product that is on the market, but they are not using any clinical data from this product. It's just, I, I call it a marketing, it's a marketing way or trying to provide some kind of evidence to say, my product is good because this product is already CE marked and it's fine. But if you have no clinical data for an equivalent product, for me, I mean, it's better to not make this equivalence, uh, equivalence right. with these products because it was more questions to the auditor. It was more questions to the evaluator. They will ask you, can you prove me really the equivalence? I'm not agreeing with your equivalence um, review, etc. When you have no equivalence at all, it's better. If you have enough data with your products, so it's better to use that instead of going to check other products. But yeah, you're right. There is more education that has to be done in, uh, in terms of that. Munir, I'm, I'm happy that I'm listening to you because you just mentioned something which is very, uh, very uh, interesting. A lot of people still believe that equivalency is a standard rule that you have to do always, which is not the fact. Equivalency is not a requirement that you have to do always. You need to have uh, evidence showing that your device is safe and performing well when used as intended and has a clinical benefit, uh, fulfilling actually your specifications that you define and the state-of-the-art expectation. What, what happens systematically, most of the manufacturers try to show equivalency. And even if they have clinical data, sometimes they forget their own clinical data and they focus on equivalence. Yeah. This is wrong strategy. And this is where people need really some guidance to help them understand that a different way and a different path 
may be much more reasonable to achieve the target of certification. No, I think it's, it's completely great. So thank you for, for emphasizing that. Um, the, next, the next topic is about PMCF. So yeah. um, PMCF is something that we hear a lot now. PMCF was already existing with the MDD. I mean, it was already existing before, before MDR. So um, is it true that now every medical device needs a PMCF or is there a, a rule that change related to PMCF application? Yeah, so um, there, is, there is a better clarity on what is a PMCF with the medical device regulation. Uh, the problem is that we typically tend as human beings not to forget the past. The past was when you said to someone a PMCF, they always understood it's a study. Okay. A PMCF is, is not always a study. A PMCF is much wider. And even in the MEDEF 2.12, uh, when it was drafted and updated in 2012, it was clarified that it could be a study, a registry, a retrospective study, a survey. All of this fall under PMCF. Now, with the medical device regulation, yes, all manufacturers need to do a PMCF. But now you have to listen to what I'm going to say. There yeah. are two types of PMCF. The general PMCF and the specific PMCF. And the specific PMCF is the PMCF which is related to studies and registries. And this part could be justified that is not needed because it could be that you have a, a sufficient amount of data uh, throughout the lifetime of your device and you could justify that there is no changes in the design anymore and I uh, don't need to collect additional uh, specific data, but you still have to do the general methodology, which is much wider. And this is where people do not understand it because the PMCF is not like we knew it in the past. It's much wider. And this is where manufacturers need to read the regulation, the guidance, and try to understand how they prepare for every device a specific PMCF for the future. Yeah, um, when I remember when I was working on the MedDev for the PMCF, it says specifically that you have to create a PMCF when you have some residual risks that are existing. Um, when mm -hmm. you look now to the MDR, this wording residual risk is not mentioned at all. It's not saying you have to initiate a PMCF because you have residual risks. So as you mentioned, there is a broader uh, review of that. But now I am an MDD manufacturer. Um, what are the requirements related to the MDR applicability? So. Um, what what should I do now during this maybe grace period until the MDR is applicable or until I have to apply MDR? So what about a PMCF? What, what are the requirements related to PMCF? So first of all, if you are now under MDD, till the date of application, which is next year now on the 26th of May, 2021, you are still required to fulfill the MDD requirement. So you don't have to do MDR specific uh, uh, requirements. But, uh, if you have a valid certificate and you move to the grace period uh, with an MDD device, the MDR is saying you are allowed to move to MDR if you fulfill the post-market surveillance requirement of the MDR for the MDD device, which includes PSUR, PMCF, PMS. So this means that if I'm a manufacturer going and making use of the grace period with a valid certificate for an MDD device, I need to implement the processes and the requirements related to post-market of the MDR for my MDD device. This is what you have to do. Uh, but my recommendation since 2012, actually, I was telling all manufacturers, if you do now, you, you asked me at the beginning, what shall I do if I have a CR, MDD, CR at this moment? 
Uh, I, I was telling in 2012 manufacturer, do your gap analysis. Check if the MDR is expecting much more than you have. Uh, use the time to collect additional data. And at this moment, we have one more year now, which is actually not more than more year, but a loss in, in time. But at least if you still have a gap, try to use this year to close this gap and collect the additional data needed for your MDD device to ensure that when you get to the MDR application, that you have the amount of data addressing the requirement and ensure that your device will keep coming on the market and will not be withdrawn from the market with the MDR. That is great. And um, I'm also advising some of the, of, the, of the listeners and people that are asking me, so if I don't have enough clinical data now for the MDR, uh, what should I do? And before, I mean, it was a few years ago, if I can say, but we always say start a PMCF so that you can gather data with your products already that are on market. So is this something that is still valid or still needed or still a good advice, if I can say, to, to the manufacturers? I mean, a PMCF, we have to ensure because a lot of people are misusing PMCF sometimes. A PMCF means I'm doing a, a, a data collection within the approved intended purpose of my device. Yeah. Because some manufacturer believes that I can do a PMCF to collect for additional indication or things oh, no. which are not approved. This is a pre-market study. So yes, if, if they are uh, recognized they have a gap, they should be starting now to collect additional data via a PMCF to confirm actually their, uh, uh, um, their evidence and to get enough data uh, for the MDR application. Oh, I think it's great. So thank you for that. Uh, my last question before we go to the next topic is about uh, the expert panel. We have with the MDR, the, um, the, the creation now of the expert panel. So it's specifically for class 2B active devices that are removing or um, introducing, um, introducing drug or for class 3 implantables. So, um, I mean, before we had the notified bodies that are really looking at the dossier and approving everything. So is this new level or hierarchy in terms of uh, scrutiny uh, helping the notified bodies to place compliant devices on the market? Or it's something that is purely administrative? What is their role exactly to help you to place the, the device on the market? It's, I'm, I would not name it. It's a help. I would name it. It's a... It's an increased scrutiny on notified bodies, uh, which is not adding value. Because I remember when I was discussing with uh, the working group who was preparing the expert panel set up for, uh, for the European Commission, and I asked one question. I said, uh, notified bodies are required to have higher expertise uh, on their side. Now, you, you want to create expert panel with also high expertise. And the focus is on the clinical. So the focus of the review is the clinical consultation. So notified bodies will need to provide the clinical evaluation uh, report of the manufacturer and their own assessment report to the expert panel. If there is, uh, it's not for legacy devices, it's much more for a new devices getting to the market. And the question is, if I have a heart surgeon looking to a, a, a cardiovascular device and my heart surgeon will say, uh, yes, it is fine. Why would the expert panel uh, be much more clever than my experts. And what will happen if both of them are in disagreement? Today, if you go to a medical doctor and you have a disease, you have pain, you go to the first one, he would tell you, you need an implantation. You go to the next one, he would tell you, you are healthy, stop making fake uh, pain. You go to the third one, he will tell you, you will die next week. And uh, this is, this is um, you ask 10 experts, you get 20 opinions. Um, and at the end, um, I think it's not adding value. 
but it is giving the European Commission and the member state a level of safety that they have much more oversight about notified body approval process. And hopefully they can make use of this for a better system from creation of guidance, which are specific to help all of us to say how much is enough. For example, if I have a new technology coming to the market that uh, out of their learning, they make a publication to say, uh, look, for this device, this is the minimum expectations that we need, because this would help industry to know if I have such a device, I need 100 patients, I need follow-up of two years. Okay. Uh, I'm a member of the ISO committee uh, for heart valves and cardiovascular implants uh, since many years. And this is the only standard where we were always very specific. And it's very easy for notified bodies as well to deal in this uh, field. Why? And also for all regulators, because it's very specific. It's saying how many patients you need, how many institutions do you need, how many, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the duration of the follow-up. Why can't we do things like that for uh, the variety of devices? This would make the life of everyone much easier. Yeah. Because in Europe, like you said, it's expert opinion. Everyone has his own opinion. And if you ask this one today, he would tell you, I need 10 patients. The next one would tell you, I need 20 patients. And I can tell you now because I'm a consultant. But in my past job, I couldn't tell you. If a manufacturer came to me and they said, I have a study planned with 100 patients, my answer was, what is your justification? Uh, provide me with your statistical calculation. And I knew actually that I need 150, but this is what I have to answer. So he came back with 120. Same question, said, no, it's not acceptable. And it would be much more reasonable to say, if you want to get to the target, this is what I need. Okay. The problem is that a manufacturer cannot get to the notified body to ask these questions. They come at the end because notified bodies are not allowed to consult. So uh, uh, they do the study, they are done, then they get in contact with the notified body, and the notified body will say, your study was not okay, repeat it. Uh, if you are a big player, you may have the budget to repeat it. If you are a, a small player, uh, goodbye, you're going to disappear from the market. And the no, European Commission is, yeah, is trying now with the expert panel to have a voluntary consultation to help manufacturers, but I'm not sure if this would be helpful because their opinion is not binding as well. No, I think it's clear, and it's why I think it's it's good to to clarify the, their role, uh, and also the fact that it can also increase the timing then for products to be on the market because they have also yeah. maybe to review and it takes time for them to review everything. But uh, but yeah, uh, let's let's see experience with that, and let's see if we have really uh, some needs uh, in terms of of these things. Um, Okay, Basile, so thank you for that. I think it helps a lot. Uh, but um, what I wanted also to, to ask you is that you are preparing a, a webinar or a training for people related to these topics, so sufficient clinical data. So can you tell us more about that? Because now as CUNIC, so you are also trying to educate people and to train them. So um, what, what, what are the plans for, the, for these trainings? So um, we want to, to, to help uh, people understand the medical device coordination group document and the MEDEF document that we discussed today to explain to them how to use them uh, in an efficient way. So we created uh, two webinars, uh, which are planned now for June 8 and 11, uh, to explain to, to manufacturers the requirement and to give them some insight on uh, how, how they can prepare the documentation in compliance with the medical device regulation to ensure that they can identify the gap now and make use of this additional uh, time that they have till the new date of application 
instead of just waiting and hoping that something gonna uh, really be better. So um, uh, we created, uh, planned a webinar, which is for the European uh, uh, citizens, because it is uh, based on CET time, and also Asian can attend this, uh, this uh, webinar if they are willing to stay longer during the day and uh, attend and listen to that. The next one is for U.S. Uh, um, uh, time zone uh, people, enabling them to attend as well and to get uh, the same information. Uh, but due to the high amount of requests that we are getting uh, from regions which are for both of both time zone are not really helpful for them, we're gonna create a third one. We don't have the date yet, but we're gonna make it public on our website, and we're gonna keep posting on this on LinkedIn. So uh, I recommend to everyone who is interested to attend and to understand uh, the medical device regulation, including the interpretation of the guidance, to attend these webinars. Uh, we will do our best to, to uh, get everyone joining and to help you also understand the requirement of the medical device regulation. No, great. So June 8th, June 11th, and the third date that will that will come. I will put anywhere all, all those uh, uh, the links on the on the show notes so that people can can get that. I will also put the links of the MDCG guidance, the MedDev guidance, so that people can maybe download them before to arrive to your to your webinars yeah. and and get uh, some learning from that. Okay, Basil. So thank you for your help. Thank you for all the information that you provided. Um, I'm sure we'll have more opportunities to educate more people with uh, other podcasts or other uh, episodes together. Um, but yeah, so I officially wish you a good continuation with your new career role. And uh, yeah, so uh, I hope that now with your new career, you can really help a lot of manufacturers to uh, place compliant medical device on the market. We talked about that just before uh, before I start the recording of that. So uh, one of my motto is, uh, would I give these products to a member of my family when I have to take a hard decision? And we had the same, I, I, you had the same mindset. And I hope you will really transfer that also to your, uh, to your new role as a QUNIC uh, in Germany. Thank you, Monir, for, for the interview and the discussion. And yes, I have the same mentality, patient first, and this is how we should be doing all our tasks as medical device sector. And I'm looking forward for our cooperation in the future. Okay, great. So thank you, Basil, and I wish you a nice day. Thank you, same to you. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much. 